0: Hello, check, check. Good morning, Grace Hill. How we doing? Doing good. Great to sing. Thanks, Mel. Thanks to Evan and the whole crew for leading us in worship. It's always good for me personally just to stand in the congregation worship. I love that. So I'm glad I get to do that. And excited to be preaching as Alan is preaching at some camp way down in Georgia this week. So you can pray for him. I'm not sure what uh, kind of shenanigans he's getting into, but I know he's having a lot of fun with his family. Uh, So welcome. We're so glad that you're here. My name is Nick. I'm one of the pastors on staff. And uh, so we've been in Exodus chapter 20 uh, for the last few weeks or so looking at the Ten Commandments, which I've absolutely loved. And so last week, just to quick, quickly recap, we've looked at this idea of Sabbath and rest and what it means to rely on God and how He has created each one of us to need Him, to need rest in Him, and how He alone is the one who sustains and satisfies and brings that joy to our lives. And so today we're actually going to take a break uh, from that series, but but I love how the Lord does this um, because the idea of rest and Sabbath is actually really going to intersect well with the sermon that we're going to be looking at today, where we're going to be studying God's word today. And so this week we're going to be back in the this verse changed my life series. Um, and I've loved this series. This has really been a series where our pastors and our elders have gotten to share from their hearts a verse or a scripture that was significant and maybe perhaps in some ways changed their life. And so I'm excited to do that uh, with you today. When Alan first mentioned this to me, there was one verse that kind of quickly popped right in my head uh, that I knew I wanted to do because it was a verse that had a profound impact on me uh, years ago and even still still today. And so Uh, If you have your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll also have it on the screens, as I can tell you're all looking at. Um, Hebrews chapter 4, towards the end of your Bible. And what's so interesting about this verse is that uh, this whole chapter all kind of fits in with this idea of rest. It talks about rest, really the first 13 into 15, 16, 14, 15, 16, Verses of resting in God and how the believer is called to do this and also what happens when the believer fails to rest in God. And yet right in the middle of this talk, all this talk about rest in Hebrews chapter 4, are these seemingly two random verses about God's words, his speech. And I always kind of wondered why they were there and how do they fit. Uh, but even though I didn't quite understand at the time how they fit, I always loved these two verses. They just ministered to me. Um, as you'll see in a second, um, even though it didn't seem quite like they, like they fit in with the rest of, of chapter 4. But these two verses, uh, they did change my life. And so I want to share them with you today, as well as how they connect to this broader idea of rest that Alan, unbeknownst to him last week, really teed me up for well today. So thank you, Alan, for that. Uh, but we're going to jump right into Hebrews chapter 4. So again, if you have your Bible, we can read it. And I'm going to read verses 1 to 13 to kind of give us the context, even though we're really zero in on 12 and 13. So Hebrews 4, verse 1, says this. Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it, to reach his rest. For good news came to us just as to them, so that them is the Israelites. He's looking back now in time. But the message that they did they heard did not benefit them, because they were not united by faith with those who listened. So he's saying they, they actually failed to enter into God's rest because they didn't have faith. Verse 3, for we who have believed now the church, we enter that rest, as he said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. So he's quoting some prophets. Although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. So there's some Sabbath language tie in there. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, the Israelites. Again he appoints a certain day, saying today, through David so long afterwards, in the words already already quoted, if you hear his voice, don't harden your hearts. Right, for if Joshua had given them rest, another patriarch of the faith, God would not have spoken of another day, a, a better rest that was to come. So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, us. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience that that the Israelites fell by. And then here's where we're going to camp out today, verse 12. For the word of God is living and active sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from the eyes. We are all naked and exposed of the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. So right in the middle of this encouragement to rest in the Lord and to cling to him, our hope, We find these two verses that talk about the word of God being living and active and sharper than a sword and how his words pierce into us, into our hearts and our souls and how every one of us stands exposed to our creator. So so what's this all about? Why is this good? And how does it connect to rest? That's what we're going to be looking at today. So let me pray for us and we'll dive in. Father, we thank you just First of all, thank you for your rest. Thank you that you do provide that for us. I love the exhortation. Verse seven, don't harden your hearts. No, enter into God's rest. And so help us to see now, Father, the connection between your words and their effectiveness and in entering into your rest. Help us, Jesus. Amen. So one of the things, uh, one of my favorite just pastimes, hobbies, interests that I've always had that probably maybe a few of you in this room know about is, uh, is languages and linguistics. Love different languages. Um, it just blows my mind that we can communicate such deep, profound, incredible uh, truth just by making a handful of sounds with our mouths. Most, most linguists think that most of the common world languages have between 30 and 50 sounds that you can make with the human mouth. And yet we have this incredible ability to take this small pile of sounds, right, and to do incredible things with them, right? We can build one another up. We can tear each other down. People start wars and end wars with their words. They, they save lives. They, they can destroy relationships. We can do incredible things. This, this is the power of words. It's always interested me. And the way that we use our words for for good or for bad is a direct reflection of the image of God stamped on our being. Nothing else in creation can do this to the extent that we can. We are image bearers, and we reflect God uniquely in this way. I I think my love for languages probably began as a kid. My dad, another tidbit many of you might not know or even believe, but my dad's actually from Puerto Rico, and so I heard Spanish a lot in the house growing up uh, with him, with my relatives. When I remember the first time I went to Puerto Rico as a kid. It, just, it kind of blew my mind that like, there's a whole other culture that functions and thrives and lives, and they don't speak English. It, just, it was cool. It was really awesome to see. Um, later on, when I was in college, I was on a mission trip in Tunisia and North Africa. And I can remember in a, being in a prayer service, and there was probably six other groups of people there from different countries. And they all began, I think I've shared this with you guys in other sermons, but they all began to pray in their own language. And it was just like a, a watershed moment for me in my faith, of just like, wow, these people, they know God and they love Him. And yet they're so far from me culturally. I have no idea what God's doing across the world and across the seas. It was just, it was really great. Um, some of you might know I began learning French in college, and one of the great man joys of my life has been using that and getting to minister in different countries with that. So that's that's I love that. And then even after seminary, I began to dive a little bit more deeply into Hebrew uh, after seminary, and that's just that was so cool and how that opened up new ways of seeing God's word, which then le- led to I think new ways of of seeing God and growing in love and affection for Him, which is cool. And so. All that to say, you can imagine that for me and and the way this topic has kind of always fascinated me, a verse like Hebrews 4.12.13 is just going to naturally stick out, right? As it speaks to the power of words, which of course I always understood and affirmed, but more specifically how it speaks to the power of God's word. The power that his words and the power that they have to affect and to change things. So look with me again. We're going to quickly just look at verses 12 and 13 and just unpack it in the next few minutes um, in a little bit greater detail. So it says this, verse 12. The word of God is living and active. So, so my words, right, as I, Nick Jones, speak, I have some measure of power if I'm disciplining my kid or I'm telling somebody something or if I'm encouraging, encouraging somebody. Um, but my words certainly aren't alive and active per se. And the interesting thing about uh, the Greek word here in the original languages is that this word active energos is what it is in Greek, actually means to be alive and active in a supernatural sense or actively working in a manner that transcends the natural order of things. So, so God's words as he speaks them, they have this, this power that ours just don't, right? which might go without saying, but, but I think it's important to note the contrast here that God's words, they're not like our words. right? He's in a different category. So as we talk about the word of God, it's important that we, that we don't think about them in the same category as our words. We need to have a different lens. His words are living and active in our God's. They're sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the dividing of soul and spirit, joints and marrow. So this is really unpacking more this concept of God's words being supernatural, how his words don't just pierce flesh and bone, joints and marrow, but beyond that, how his words have the ability to pierce and to have an effect on the soul and the spirit of man. And like a double-edged blade that just cuts everything and it counters easily, God's word has the ability and the potential, if we let him in, to pierce right through us and get to the core of who we are. And as his word cuts into us, what does it do? It discerns, end of verse 12, the thoughts and the intents, the intentions of the heart. And I think as we might, might start to hear this language of, of cutting and discerning and dividing and exposing, we might, might pull back a little bit, might think, man, Nick, I. I Man, I don't want to be exposed. I don't want to be cut up. I don't want the thoughts and the intentions of my heart to be known. There's they're stuff down there for a reason. How can this be good? And how does this connect to rest? Because it sounds like the opposite of rest, right? Getting chopped up. Verse 13, And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him, to whom we must give an account, and so he sees us, and we have to account for our lives. And so we've seen now that God's word, it pierces, cuts, divides, discerns, exposes, and now we're naked. Great, this is great. No thanks, how can this be good? Nick, how was it that this first changed your life? You're, you're a weirdo. You might be wondering. So we're going to get there, and I think that when we're in these types of verses that are, seem out of place or are difficult or some clarification is needed, it's usually helpful just to let Scripture define Scripture, right? To let God define what he said. And so as we're talking about God's words and the effect of his words, thankfully there's, there's many places in Scripture where we see God speaking and the effect and the power of his words. So here's what I want us to do with the next uh, few minutes. I'd like for us to look at a handful of these texts. And as we do this, I want us to zero in and to notice four effects, four effects that God's word has on our lives, four effects of God's words, the words that he speaks in our lives. And so we're asking the question, what what does his word do to us? Now that it's pierced, now that it's divided, now that it has exposed and laid bare, what happens next? And I think that what we'll see, is that after his word cuts and exposes is that it heals and it gets to work. And it does this, this transformative work that leads us into rest. So for our first text, uh, you can turn to Genesis 1, Genesis chapter 1. And I want us to begin by going back to the very beginning where we first see the Lord speaking and the effect of his words there. God's speaking life into being. <clears throat> so I won't read the whole thing, but I'm just gonna jump through a few of these verses. So verse three, it says this. And God said, right, he's speaking, let there be light. And there was light, the first act, right? It's beautiful. Verse six, and God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters.' So he's creating a few more things. There's water now. Verse 9, and God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together in one place, and then let the dry land appear. And it was so. So now he's differentiating between land and, and heavens and water. Verse 11, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth, and it was so. So now there's life coming about, there's plant life that's being spreading and growing and Fruiting. Verse fourteen, and God said, "Let there be lights in the expanse of the heavens to separate the day from the night, and let them be for signs, and for seasons, and for days and years." And so now it seems like God's ordering and structuring, structuring and creating days and seasons, so that so that something or someone can benefit from the seasons and from the times. Verse twenty, God said. Let the waters swim with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth, across the expanse of the heavens. So now we have not just plant life, but animal life. Verse 24, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. So now we have animals on the land, not just fish and birds. Then finally, verse 26, here it is. God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth, right? So by the power of his word, God creates man in his image and says, steward it, take care of it. It's yours. You have dominion over this. So what's our takeaway here? I think the first effect, number one, of God's word that we see here in Genesis is that God's word creates new life. And he does it out of nothing. He doesn't need raw materials first, doesn't need an instruction manual. He creates life by his word. And and lest we're, we're tempted to think that creating life only applies to creation, we see it all over the Bible especially in the New Testament, as instructional for us as the church today. So John 5, uh, Jesus says to the disciples, I say to you, the hour is coming when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. John 6, Peter responds to Jesus saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Right, Saying, Jesus, you're worth following even when it's hard because your words alone lead us into living and life that we were made to have. His word alone can create new life in those who follow him in faith as we we invite it into our hearts, into our minds, and his, his words, his promises, and his truths go to work. So Grace Hill, in what ways might you need him to create new life in you today? How might you need this new life? I can remember for me and for Alan and Evan um, as pastors in the midst of the pandemic, just doing ministry was hard. It was really discouraging. So much of the life and the vitality of ministry, the joy, the energy that comes from doing ministry was gone because we couldn't, for a time, we couldn't meet with you. We couldn't gather together right? We couldn't meet with the people and do what was really needed and necessary to love and to serve the body well. And so just, I know we all felt this, but speaking for myself, this was a season where I needed to give, I needed God to give me new life because it felt dry and actually devoid of life. It's hard. The job isn't fun without, without you guys. And sometimes this is where we end up and we can't fix it on our own. How do you need to be revived today? His word can do it if you let him speak it to you and over you. How can you encourage someone this week who you know might be devoid of life, someone who's struggling? How can you gently speak his words to them so that they might be refreshed, right? This is the role of the church body. That we speak and remind one another of these things. His good and true promises and speak a life. So God's word creates new life. That's our first effect. For our second passage, the second effect, you can turn to Isaiah 55. It's right in the middle of your Bible, just a little bit to the right of Psalms. And we're going to pick it up in verse 10. Isaiah the prophet says this I love this imagery. Verse 10, as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return, but but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. Listen to this. So, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose, and it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. Our second effect is this. Number two, God's word accomplishes its purposes. Right? It always, always succeeds in the thing for which he sends it. Every time, even when we can't see it. Especially when we can't see it. And when his purposes make no sense to us. This is the power of his word, living and active in our lives when we create space for it. So many of us today need this word in our lives, to know that there is purpose and a plan behind what God is doing to accomplish, that there's a purpose and a plan in in the circumstance that you find yourself in, that there's a a purpose and a plan in the situation that keeps you up at night, that there's a purpose and a plan and maybe even in the good things that God is blessing you with right now. That there's a purpose and a plan in the midst of your loneliness, or even in the midst of the loss of a loved one. My wife and I are experiencing this right now with the loss of our our father-in-law, with my father-in-law, with Julie's father. Sudden, unexpected, out of left field. A month ago, many of you knew him. He would come here often and worship with Julie's Julie's mom. And it's hard because, you know, they were just about to retire. They are excited about it and he just passes away. So what good does this accomplish, right, his passing? What good does it do? We don't know exactly, but here's what we do know. We do know that he got to tell a lot of hospital workers about Jesus. We know that a lot of people who are far from God got to hear the gospel very clearly at his service, and that's all we can see right now. And it's still hard and we're still trusting, but it's okay. Right, we're trusting that God uses this and accomplishes this for his purposes and that his word reminds us of that every day. And we all need this. Isaiah the prophet needed this. The Lord called Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, go read it, uh, to, to preach to a people who would not have ears to hear. Right? So this was a guy who would have struggled with that. He needed to know that what God had called him to, as hard as it was, was never devoid of God's intentionality and goodness. It's it's all there. God's word accomplishes its purposes. It's our second effect. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, you can turn there if you have your Bibles. We're jumping all over today. Hebrews, end of the New Testament. And let me read Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 to 3. I love this one. It says this. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, right? So the primary way in the Old Testament that they had revelation of who God was was, was through the prophets. But in these last days, now, church, God has spoken to us by the Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And listen to this, love this. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. So our third effect is this, that God's word has sustaining power. He upholds all things, even the universe, through his sustaining power. So, um... I don't know if you guys got to see this past week, but the James Webb Telescope released these awesome pictures of. So essentially, what it what it did. So so this is a telescope replacing the Hubble Telescope. Uh, took 30 years to engineer, 10 billion dollars, really expensive, which is crazy. 30 years, man. Um, and they sent back some of the first photos. So we're going to put these on the screen. And so the picture that you guys are looking at. Um, if you you probably some of you read this. If you hold a grain of sand against the sky, this picture represents a grain-of-sand-sized piece of the sky. And so this telescope is just staring into what looks like dark nothing and comes back, of course, these incredible pictures. You can see the galaxies. Um, you can see what's called the lensing effect of light bending. Um, and it's just, it just blows my mind. Like, these aren't just stars. These are billions of galaxies that within themselves have billions of stars and planets and, uh, and who knows what. You know, right, So I, just, I couldn't help but, uh, but think of this as I'm writing this sermon, right? Because we just read that he upholds, and we'll leave that picture up for a few minutes um, for a presenter, but he upholds and sustains the universe, all of this, by his word. That's crazy. But I mean, here's, here is the better realization and, and the comfort. Here's the warm blanket for us, right? If he can uphold this, by the power of his word, how much more can he uphold you? Can he sustain you? How much more can he carry you through seasons of life, right? The highs, the lows. How much more can he hold you up when you can't stand? And I think what I really, really want us to walk away with today is this, and to grab hold of is this. That you, as I looked at, look out at each and every one of you guys, right? Each of you. Are infinitely more precious than this. It's beautiful as it is. It's amazing as it is. You alone bear the divine mark of the image of God in man. We saw this in Genesis, see it in Hebrews. So, man, Grace, so I'll just plead with you this morning let him in, please. Let his word sustain you. And even though you might, have a hard time, which I do all the time, believing, struggling to believe that he can sustain you, cry out to him and ask him to help, ask him to show himself faithful to you in this way. Let him lead you into the rest that he so longs to give you. God's word has sustaining power. And then for our fourth uh, our fourth effect and our last effect of God's word that we're going look to at, look at today. Uh, you can turn to Psalm 19, Psalm 19, verse seven. And there's a lot going on in the Psalm, but it kind of all sits under the umbrella of what God says, what he declares, what he promises, and then how that affects and changes. So uh, it highlights the effects of his words with sort of these rapid fire examples. So let's dive right in. Psalm 19, verse seven says this. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple, Excuse me. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. <clears throat> the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even fine gold, sweeter than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. Who can discern his errors? Declare me innocent from hidden faults. Keep back your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. Now he's just confessing. Then I will will be blameless and innocent of great transgression. And now stop right there. End of verse 13. And notice this. Now that the word of God has been spoken over us and had its effect. We can now hope in the transformation that he brings, because here's what he says next, verse 14. Now, Lord, in response to that, you've done the work, you've cut, you've divided. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. I have faith that your gospel can transform. So now, do the work, God. Let my words reflect you. The psalmist is confident that the presence of of God's words in his life, can change and transform his own words so that he starts to look more like God in his speech. This is the work of the Holy Spirit, right? Ministering to us and reminding us of God's truth. And so our fourth effect is this. God's word, it transforms us. It transforms. The Holy Spirit uses it to change us. And I love these verses, right? So many different ways that that God's word has the ability to transform. Once it has, again, once it has pierced, divided, and exposed, laid us open, right then it does what? It it goes to work. And it, just like we read Psalm, uh, Psalm 19, it revives the soul. It brings wisdom. It rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. It makes pure. It endures forever. It makes righteous. And this was a big one for me, especially when I was younger and in college. Um, of course, it still is a big one, but looking back in hindsight, man, I remember I would really struggle. I would really, at times, cry out to God and wonder and ask, Lord, can you, can you really change my, my lustful heart? Can you really give me freedom from anger? Can you really help me to forgive people that I feel like have wronged or hurt me, because I can't let it go and it's keeping me up at night. We need his words every day, every hour. And uh, to bring it back full circle, we've said it already, this is how we enter his rest. This is why this verse changed my life. Because without his word, piercing, dividing, cutting, and exposing and then going to work to transform us, reviving, sustaining, transforming, and accomplishing his purposes, without this work, we would never enter into his rest. Without his word. And the book of Hebrews wants us to see this, the connection. That God's word does, in fact, transform. And so... To kind of quickly recap, we see in the Bible that God's word, it creates new life, it accomplishes its purposes, it sustains and it transforms, and here's what I'd love for us to do right now. I'd love for us just to reflect on this and to cry out to God in light of this, because every one of us is going to be somewhat, if not directly in, pretty close to the edges of one of these four things where we need God to intercede and to break through. And so here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask every eye to be closed, every head to be bowed, and I'm going to ask for us to close our eyes as we pray. And I want to pray over these for us. Father God, I first want to lift up those who just feel dead inside. Lord, they need new life. And with every eye closed, Lord, I would ask that if, for those of you here today who feel like you need God to create new life in you, would you just lift your hands up? I pray that you just lift lift your hands up and hold them up. If you need new life, Father, would you bring that? For those who, who are fa- struggling to believe that God can t- really accomplish the purposes that he has, that he can see th- things through to the end according to his goodness and his intentional will, For you who are struggling to believe this, would you hold your hand up and surrender? It's not magic, it's nothing special, but it's a way of us posturing before the Lord to believe, Lord, can you really accomplish what you set out to do? Just surrender that to him. For those of you who are struggling to believe that God can really sustain you through this season, struggling to believe that he can hold you up, that he can carry you, that he actually is enough, that what he gives is enough. Would you just hold your hands up? God, we confess you can sustain us. You give us strength. You provide. Don't always believe it, but help our unbelief. And for those of you who are struggling to believe that God can actually change you, he can actually change your desires, your affections what gives you life, would you just hold your hand up now and surrender? God, would you change me, please? So many times I've felt that you could not change me. It's a lie from Satan. So we just confess that and we offer that up to you. Amen. Now, I do want to issue a quick warning to us as well. And that is that when we when we fail to allow God's word to have its effect on us, when we fail to let it pierce and work on our hearts, that our adversary, Satan, the enemy, who is real, is going to come. He's going to try and speak his own words into our lives. He's going to try to speak lies, half-truths, and spread doubt about what God has said and who he is. And his words lead to death. And we see him do this all over Scripture, right? Back to Genesis, chapter 3. Just two chapters after God creates life, Satan approaches Adam and Eve. And in verse 1, he first causes them to question God. In verse 4, he lies to them. And in verse 5, he tells them a half-truth, right? And, of course, we know it ultimately leads to, to death. He does it again in the Gospels. When Jesus is fasting in the wilderness, Satan approaches Jesus again, using his words to speak lies things that aren't true, and tempting Jesus. But how does Jesus combat the enemy? With his words, with the words of God. Amen. He speaks God's words. He speaks truth and it says that Satan flees from him and then God comes and ministers to him and comforts him. It was only God's words that were able to fend off the lies of the enemy. That's it. That's all he had. And Grace Hill, man, the application for us here is huge. As a church community that has covenanted to love one another, to encourage and to speak truth to one another, this is why we exist. Again, we already said it. To speak God's words to one another and to build up our church body into maturity in Christ. And then to go outside and to call others to likewise hear and believe and respond to the words of God and to be transformed and changed by them. So do this, and help one another in this. Be proactive, right? This is why we have community groups. It's why we serve together. It's why we gather on Sundays to literally sing to one another the words and the truths of God. It's why we sing, because we forget. Speaking the good words and the good promises of God that we might enter into his rest together and thus be found faithful and fruitful to the world that's around us. So as we wrap up, as we close, uh, speaking of Jesus, I had one more passage about the words of God that I wanted to share, that I wanted to read over us. Um, You don't necessarily have to turn there in your Bible. I think it'll be on the screens. But let me just read this over you. And this is John, John chapter one. Love this. And in this section of Scripture, we see Jesus referred to as the living Word. The Word, the Greek word, Lagos, who came into the world to seek and to save the lost. And here's what it says about the Word In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, the Son. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. I love this. And the life of him was the light of men. His life is what brings and animates us. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In verse 14, the word became flesh. Right? So this word didn't just stay in heaven. It took on flesh. As Alan talked about two weeks ago, he chose proximity and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory that can only come from one who is like the Son of God. Glory as of the only Son from the Father who is full of grace and truth. And here's why I love the Bible so much. As we marinate it, more and more we begin to see how it all fits together, how it reinforces itself, right? So, so as God speaks his words to us, they pierce, They cut, they expose and divide, but then they also heal, as we saw from all these other texts, Isaiah, Genesis. They create life, they accomplish things, they sustain, they transform, ushering us together into his rest and all this made possible by the word, by Jesus and the work that he accomplishes at Calvary for us, for our behalf and for his glory so that we might be restored back into fellowship with God and experience his rest in the perfect peace and unity that he, he lovingly and gently ushers us into together. So as we close, and uh, the band can come back up. Man, may we all make time for his word in our lives. Let's carve out the time, church. And then may we be quick to speak his word to one another in love, knowing that it will not return void. Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your words to us. We thank you that, God, that your words really manifest themselves in this community, in this covenant community. We don't do this in isolation, but instead we press in. And sometimes there might even need to be piercing and cutting and dividing so that so that healing can occur. I pray that we'd be open to that. I pray that we would even learn to love that process, knowing that it leads us closer to you and closer to your heart. So Lord, would you, um, and may our words, Psalm 19, may our words now be reflective of this work that you do in us. We love you. We give you all the glory. Amen.